0: i felt like when i was a pre-med i didn't really have anyone to look up to i didn't know what medical school would actually be like we'll be like yeah medical school is going to be so hard you know we're never going to sleep we're not going to have a life and it just always seemed like something i wasn't going to look forward to but something i had to do to get what i wanted out of life and i got to medical school and it wasn't like that for me like i was able to have normal sleep schedule i was able to socialize outside of medical school And I just felt like I wanted to share that with people so that they didn't have to feel discouraged about wanting to become a doctor and nervous about it the way I
1: did that clip was from today's guest, Dr. Amanda. She is an internal medicine first year resident and a really, really wonderful friend and mentor. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to the advice she has on what it was like being pre-med and not having any doctors in the family and how she navigated that, how she's navigating residency balance. And We talk about imposter syndrome, a really, really overall wholesome episode about why both of us enjoy creating social media content and we hope that you enjoy all things con amor is the pursuit of holistic health wellness happiness love the things that really set our soul on fire enjoy the ride Hi guys. This has been a long time coming. Like since I started posting like med school content, I came across Dr. Amanda. And I just her content is very heartwarming. Like it it made me feel safe. It made me feel seen. And so From day one, I was like, be a guest on my podcast, and we've both been super busy, but we're excited to sit down today and have this conversation with you. Um, We're going to get into a little bit of everything today. So to start off, could you give everyone just kind of like a background of who you are
0: and what you do? Sure. And by the way, I felt very similar about your content as well, and I always enjoyed watching it. But anyway, so my name's Amanda. I'm from Long Island. I am in first year. I am resident. And I post also on TikTok, even though I haven't been so good at it lately because of starting residency, but trying to get better with that.
1: Oh, that, thank you for that. Um, I feel like it is really hard to keep up with consistent content making when you're working as many hours as you do. Um, so how did you decide to get into medicine? Like, how did you decide doctor was the life for you? Did you ever consider anything else? So...
0: Um, I decided in ninth grade that I wanted to go into medicine and I kind of stuck with it since then. It really, for me, it like came out of a desire of wanting to help people. And at the time I like started to really like bio classes and I thought, you know, like this would be my best way of doing that. And then over time that developed like through shadowing with different doctors and things Mm -hmm. like that. And then just like through pre-med and all of that. So that's kind of how I fell into it. Um, But there were times where I definitely thought that I wasn't going to stick through it, especially in pre-med. Yeah. Like for during organic chemistry, actually, like (laughs) I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah." I was like, I don't think I'm going to go forward with this. And I wound up like switching out all of my classes. And I was like, maybe I'll do law school or something. And that like for the spring semester, and then I wound up switching everything back. But overall, like I knew I always wanted to be a doctor, but there were just definitely times where like, you know, it gets really tough and it's very discouraging sometimes when you're going through this journey and like gal classes and things like that. So there were times where I, where I doubted myself and almost didn't follow through.
1: Mm, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think imposter syndrome is something that we all really struggle with. Um, And especially Orga was so bad for me. Like I had a video go viral where I was like, one day you're 19 and crying over getting a C in organic chemistry and the next you're like starting rotations. And it's so true. So yeah. if you are someone here, that's like pre-med or you're just pursuing something and you feel like it's either unattainable or you're unworthy of it for whatever reason, know that it's really reassuring to me that everyone started somewhere. Mm-hmm. Every single one of us was a beginner at some point, And you don't, ever use orgo in actual med schools. So, mm-hmm. if you are struggling with orgo right now, I know I have a lot of mentees that do. Know that you're not alone and that you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um so were you a biology
0: major or no, I was actually a psychology major, which Oh neat. Yeah, I was a psych major and I do feel that that's helped me a lot, mm-hmm. especially now like on rotations and even in just like being a doctor now, just talking with patients like if someone's resistant to treatment, trying to, you know, understand why they're resistant to that, like ways to help them, um, overcome those obstacles, especially if they're the obstacle themselves, like their own anxiety or, or things like that. I do think that, um, that background helped me out a lot. So if anyone's like wants to do psych, but is afraid, like they can't do it because it's not like traditional pre-med, I think you should, you should try it out.
1: That's super cool. If I, there are so many reasons I started a podcast and one of them being like just things I wish I'd known earlier in life and being able to share them. And the major was one of them. And that's a question I get in my comments a lot. I'm sure you do too. Like what major do you have to be to go to med school? And as long as you finish the prereqs, it does not matter what you major in. Like I have friends that were music majors and like classical music theory, like, and they still got in. Um, and that's, Super, super important because I don't think people realize how much of medicine is basically like counseling your patients and getting on the same page as them and like making sure that they understand where you're coming from. Because I feel like sometimes doctors can talk in terms that go right over your head. Mm -hmm. And so, with your psych background, I'm sure you're really good at like reading how they're responding and figuring out like how you can word things in a way that they understand a little bit better. If I could go back, I probably would have been like a public health or psych major. I'm just on the bio prereqs, but I was a bio major. It was the least number of credits I think I had to take to make it through. Um, but so, yeah. Did you go straight through or did you take any gap years?
0: So I took one gap year. And hmm. during, during that time, I was a scribe for an internist, actually, like in a primary care office. And oh, okay, yeah, he's still one of my mentors today. And I learned a lot from him. And I learned a lot from scribing, too. I think that that like helped prepare me in, for medical school in ways that... I would have never imagined just like learning how to do notes and like mm-hmm. le- you know getting like seeing how someone with a certain condition presents even if you don't know what anything that's going on because as a scribe you, like you probably haven't had that medical education yet you won't really know but then when you do see it again later on it all it all kind of clicks in your head
1: yeah I, that's really really great experience and I wish I'd gotten to do more note-taking um I think I I would have to write like a small bit about the patient before they went to the doctor, but I was never directly his scribe. I was like more so like an assistant. I did like the coding and the charts from that end, but not like the letters to other doctors or like the yeah. full presentation. Um, and do you think that's like kind of what sparked your interest in internal
0: medicine or – Yeah, I I think it might have been the start of it because before that, I like when I was way younger, I think I wanted to do peds just because the only doctor that I had really been exposed to since my parents weren't doctors was my pediatrician. So I kind of just linked it to that. But then once I actually started seeing medicine, um, I worked for a neurologist and then after that for the internist, um, I just was super inspired by him because he is a doctor who kind of looks at everything that's going on with the patient, like a super holistic approach, Mm -hmm. um, like takes everything into account. They, he treats them like family. They all love him. He has like a very, you know, big following in his community. So that's like
1: the kind of doctor I envision myself to be like, as much as Amanda and I were talking right before we started the recording about like third year and it's ups and downs and picking something because she just went through the match process last year and something I do love about EM is when we see the same patient again like when they come back but that's not a normality I think whereas in internal medicine and family medicine like you do get to see the same patients over and over again and build that rapport with them and very neat that like makes my heart warm and happy to hear because I've having an internal crisis about what I'm going to apply to just know that people who are where they are, they might like look like they have everything figured out and put together, but that's not always necessarily the case. I try to be pretty transparent about that. When people ask me on social media and I get asked every single day in the hospital, what do you want to go into?
0: Yeah.
1: And everyone's always asking. And I always have to say, I'm not sure yet, but I'm happy to learn as much as I can wherever I am in the moment. So I think that's always a really good answer and response is showing that like you care regardless of whether or not you think you'll be interested
0: in that field. Yeah, Um, and I think that that's a super um, important approach for third year in general because it's like if you go into rotations being like, you know what, I want to do surgery I don't need to know this other stuff. You're going to really close yourself off to so much information. Cause you never know, like maybe you'll on, if you're a surgeon, you're gonna have a patient with psych issues, yeah. you might need to know how to deal with that. So it all does like, it continues to come up. So it's important to keep your mind open, go into each rotation. Like that's what you're going to do and learn everything that you can.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It overlaps way more than you think it will. Cause every person is so multifaceted yeah. and medicine is good at categorizing people into symptoms and boxes, but so often it can be so much more than that. Uh, And what do you think would be like the best advice you could go back and give yourself for third year? Like if you
0: were able to talk to yourself
1: at the beginning of third year, what would you have been like,
0: do this and don't do this? I would tell myself that, you know, you're going to go into everything and you're going to like a lot of it. You're going to have experiences with patients that, you know, are really, that will really shape you. And you'll have experiences with different attendings and residents that are going to shape you. And then there might be times when it's super hard and you get down on yourself where um, maybe you didn't get a good evaluation or like a patient encounter didn't go well, but it's all okay. Everything's going to work out by the end of it. You're going to know what you want to do. Everything will fall into place. It, it really does. And like so many times during third year, I didn't think it would like at the end when I was having my crisis right before deciding to apply what I was going to apply to, or I was like, wait, maybe I should go back and do, maybe I should do this, this, or this. Mm-hmm. It all works out. And I'm, i ended up exactly where I'm meant to be. And, you know, it was hard trusting in that process that everything would work out, but it does. Oh,
1: I asked almost selfishly because I needed some advice for third year (laughs) and like thank you for that because some (laughs) days I wake up and I'm like what if I have to take I mean research years are good but I like want to start practicing sooner you know so I was like worst comes to worst I can take a research year and like get more experience then but I also don't want to just be afraid of the match process and like prolong it because of that you know yeah so did you consider taking a
0: research year at all or you were like good now through yeah no and i didn't just because i like by by the time by the end of third year i knew then not by the end like by the after or, like after i took step two mm-hmm. i knew i was going to apply i am i finally decided so it wasn't really necessary for me just because i didn't need a lot of research or anything like that for my field
1: oh uh, okay well yeah. congrats i know getting good scores okay. on step one and two is a huge accomplishment. So gives us a lot of hope to know that like, for me, it's like knowing that you can be like very cool and sweet and down to earth and still be girly. Like her content is so cute guys and still be like this intelligent, badass woman in STEM. So kudos to you for that. Um, And yeah. I know you mentioned that neither of your parents are physicians. Do you think that impacted the way your application process looked or like, how did you overcome going into medicine with like not having anyone in your family to guide you because I was in the same boat like neither of my parents are doctors and so it looked very different for me than it did for kids whose parents know doctors that they can shadow and stuff like that like how did you navigate that
0: yeah I mean it's definitely a challenge just because I also feel like I didn't know what certain fields were like just because I've never, you know, had seen that. Like all I'd really seen is my pediatrician and then doctors I would take my parents to. So I really didn't know, but, um, my parents are always super supportive of like this journey for me. They, they didn't push me into it by any means, but like they always supported me along the way. And my dad is a business owner and in his business, like if people would come in and they were a doctor, he'd be like, you know, he would like take their business card or get their phone number and be like, Hey, like, can you, my daughter like shadow you. So he always trying to make those connections for me. And he, so he did, you know, I did meet some people that way. Um, mm. and that, that helped me out a lot. Um, but I do think it shaped how I want to practice medicine and how I practice it now because I think definitely, you know, you want to make sure you explain things to patients in a way that is meeting their level of health literacy. Because I know in the past, like I've seen my dad get um med- like information from his doctors and like my parents would kind of freak out because they didn't know what it meant. And they thought the worst, of course. And like me yeah. as like a pre-med, it was like figuring out like, you know, they were like, I was like their doctor as a pre-med, like their PCP, like trying to figure out all the terms for them. So that's kind of, um, what how it how it went for me um but yeah, I think that it shaped me a lot but i always I also always witnessed my dad working extremely hard mm-hmm. and um he that's how like I grew up watching him be extremely dedicated um for his work and that's what he did for my family and I think that that like shaped me as a person and made me that way as well
1: mm-hmm. i I think a good work ethic is super super important too. Yeah successfully pursuing anything you really want in life. And like, I love like, of course, a lot of my podcast is going to be health and wellness because I'm in the health field. But a lot of it is also people who do what they love, because I think it's like this myth that we have to hate our jobs and be miserable. And my dad raised me the same way where it was like, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it well, and you're going to give it your all. And like, while you're at work, you're working and you're showing up. And that translates to a lot of different areas in your life. So that's so sweet to hear how supportive he was in that way. My mom's the same way. Today she called me, she FaceTime me like two hours ago. And she goes, Guess what? Our cousin is um, I don't know what kind of doctor she is in Bogota in Colombia. And she was like, and she has this really cool nonprofit. Like maybe during your vacation month, you can go and work with her and see what it's like. And I was like,
0: they like, oh, Brian, they're yeah. doing their best. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it
1: is. And I, I totally relate on the terms of like having to break things down for your family members yeah. and be like, well, this is what that means and it's going to be okay. And like you were doing that for them on a really neat basis as a pre med. I was doing that as a kid, like with Spanish and English. So for me, it was also like the translation barrier, which I think that yeah. people don't realize that healthcare literacy is basically like a translation barrier in and of itself.
0: Yeah, it's um, double when you have a language barrier too. And and that's like another issue too, when you use translators on the phone in the hospital, like sometimes, you know, you find that like the patient is not understanding because I feel that the translation sometimes isn't good, like throughout my rotations yeah. and, it, you know, it makes it harder. I think in-person translators is would be a great change for medicine, especially in places like in um, New York, New Jersey, like Connecticut where there's, I don't know, the tri-state yeah. area where- there might be a big population of people like from in a me- metropolitan areas is what i'm trying to say.
1: Yeah yeah, big yeah. cities always have huge populations of um people from other countries and yeah. i navigate it like interestingly enough a lot of brooklyn has a huge russian population and so we're always calling the russian translators and then if they're not russian they're hispanic. So like i get pulled sometimes to translate which i always love doing and being there for them because sometimes i'll listen to the spanish translators and they'll cut stuff out like they just won't include everything either the patient said or the doctor said so you're right they're not getting that same level of understanding as if there was like an in person translator there so if you come from a diverse background know that that makes you so much stronger and so much more needed in whatever field you want to go into because, like, I never saw Hispanic doctors growing up and so like it was hard for me to envision myself as one. Yeah. Um, did you ever face imposter syndrome or was your pediatrician a woman like, or did you feel like, cause even yesterday I was seeing this patient, this 21 year old kid and um, my resident had to go grab something. And I'm like waiting in the room with him. And I go, um, thank you for letting me like be part of your examination. Like I'm a medical student and that's the doctor, like he'll be right back. And he goes, oh, so you're just a nurse. And okay. First of all, why did you have to minimize it like that? What do you mean just yeah. a nurse? Nurses are the backbone of healthcare. That's true. Second of all, would you have said that to me if I was a man? Probably not. Frustrating to see how difficult it
0: is for people to get over that stereotype. Still happens to this day. Yeah, uh, And you have the big doctor badge under your thing. Yeah. You? Yeah. yeah. I, that's why I got it. I actually got it maybe a month ago and I I think it helps. But before yeah. that it was happening like. There's been times where like you, I go in and see my patient and then like my male co-resident goes to see the other patient in the room. And he's like, oh yeah, I never saw a doctor today. The patient's like, I never saw a doctor today. And that happens a lot. Like it's happened oh. to some of my friends too. It It's discouraging and. Um, part of that, like, I, I think it feeds into like a f- perfectionism in mm-hmm. some females. Like for me, at least I think it does. Cause it's like, sometimes I feel like I have to be 20 times better just to, to prove be on yourself same level. And it's yeah. like, I put a lot of pressure on myself, that, like, if anything happens throughout the day that like I'm not satisfied with like that I like let's say I did something and it's like nothing major like little things like and it's not to my level of satisfaction where I thought I could have done it better Mm -hmm. I'm like I like beat myself up on it internally just because I'm like I feel like that I just have to be perfect but that's impossible (laughs) so and I know this but that's I just think it's something that we face as women
1: I totally agree. I feel like we walk into a room and people just kind of assume I, it gets me when people will pimp me on like information or like, what's the next treatment? What's the drug? And when I get it correctly and I sound confident about it, they're like, oh, wow. And I, I'm like, why are you so surprised? Yeah, like, were you expecting me to be less intelligent? Um, so that's, Uh, I think imposter syndrome is a really big topic I like to touch on what do you think you've been able to do to kind of lessen those feelings and like remind yourself that like you are deserving of the position you're in and of your title.
0: It, I think it's gotten better for me, like matching and getting into my program that I wanted to get into more than anything. Like, and knowing that I'm like so welcomed there by like seniors and just um, like the program director and other faculty who like I knew when I when I had met them as a student rotating there, or they knew from residents that I worked with, and that they're just like also kind to me and that they want me to succeed there and they want to help make me like an awesome doctor. Like I know that they like, they all are supporting me. So I think that's a big part of it because, um, like in medical school, I totally faced imposter syndrome applying to residency. I totally faced it. I was like, I was like, Oh my God, what if I don't match? Yeah. That was a big, a big, and that's a big worry for a lot of people. I was, even if like every interview was go, you know, even if the interview went great, you just still don't know. There's always that chance. So Mm -hmm. I think part of it's that there is this real fear that, things you know things might not work out despite you doing everything right Mm -hmm. and uh part I think what I've done is that I just put faith and faith into my into my work ethic like Mm -hmm. I know that if I continue to just be hardworking, dedicated and like do everything that I possibly can like I know at the end of the day if something doesn't work out like I gave it my all yeah and knowing I'm doing my best and trying every day. I don't know. It gives me some faith that there is some hope for things to work out.
1: I totally agree. I think that at the end of the day, as long as you know that you did the best that you could have done, you can walk away with peace that like I did my part and that's like not matching is a a really big fear. Like it's a fear that I have and I've done everything right so far too, you know? So I'm definitely going to be facing that throughout the match process next year. But I know it's something that everyone has to go through. And faith, I think, is a good like studies have shown that people who believe in it doesn't have to be like religious or God, but just like have a belief in something bigger than themselves are statistically happier. Yeah, for sure. Um, How did you juggle like the constraints of how demanding third year is time wise and like studying when you get out of the hospital and like taking time for yourself, like your own mental health on top of that? How did you balance all that?
0: So during third year, I would try to do a lot of studying during breaks at the hospital. Like I would try to do a certain amount of questions a day, like divided it up into Mm -hmm. amounts. And I would try to do them like as many as I possibly could while I was there, like whether it was like during lunch or um, like, when, you know, like those weird gaps, like when you are, after you pre-rounded and you're waiting for the team to round, do some then, or like on surgery, if you're waiting for cases, things like Mm -hmm. that. That's kind of what I did. And I would do questions when I got home if I didn't finish them during the day, but I would try to get them done just because it's so exhausting. Yeah. And I'd also try to, you know, do reading throughout the day as well. Like if I had a patient with whatever condition, I would book that up before rounds. That way it's like double preparation. It's like you're preparing in case you get asked on anything, but you're also preparing because- Um, you're preparing for your shelf and your board exams as well, because it's all relevant. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I would do. I try to do a lot of it during the day at work if I could.
1: Okay. I was keeping up with that method really, really well for my other rotations, but emergency medicine, like once the, the, the hallways are like packed with patients, like there's, I feel like there's no downtime, like you're running around, which like, it's interesting because it makes the 12 hour shifts go by really quickly, but then you get home and you're dead. And I've done like, seven year old questions all day so i think
0: i had the same issue on emergency medicine but um i didn't have to take the shelf for em it was optional do you guys have to
1: take it i think ours is required everyone Uh, i've been talking to has been saying that the shelf is optional for them but i'm i haven't seen anyone say anything about ours being optional so i'm assuming it's required um and i'm just gonna treat it that way i did finish all of my aquifer cases though that was nice i don't know if every single school has them but most school has them where it's like Um, they're patient cases that you like read through and like they're interactive, but there's, you're supposed to like spend a certain amount of time on each case. So I would like run through those in between patients. So those are all done at least, but I'm definitely behind I've done like two blocks and it's been a week and a half. It's been two weeks.
0: (gasps) I'm halfway through
1: my EM rotation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You'll be fine. Maybe you won't have to take it. It might be optional. You should I don't know though. Well, my best friend's
1: gung ho on EM, and um, Molly doesn't listen to podcasts. But if Molly is listening, hi, Molly, I love you. (laughs) And um, she had it last month and she took the shelf for it. So so you probably have to. Yeah. um, But it's okay because it honestly, like, it forces you to study. I have like the three days leading up to it off because we were able to request. we had to work 14 shifts over the course of four weeks. I know people are always really interested in like your yeah. details about med school. And like, I don't know this stuff going in. So I find it interesting too. So the way our hospital does it is we have to work 14 shifts over the four weeks, 12 of them are 12 hours. And then two of them are princess shifts. They're like six hours. So they're half of a shift instead. Um, And so we were able to say like, Hey, I would rather not work specific days so we would be able to pick three days we'd rather not work so I just picked the ones leading up to my shelf so that I could study so
0: yeah exactly and try to study on like those off days between the um between like if you're doing 14 shifts like Mm -hmm. if you have a day off a week try to do it on like do some questions those days but I know you're exhausted I remember I was exhausted on emergency medicine especially because they made us do nights so that was hard too
1: I have to do three night shifts back to back. I think it's next weekend, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm going to be in the hospital from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So, but I've also heard that they're a little bit slower. I think it's just really hard to adjust your sleep schedule. Do you have to work nights in a.m.?
0: I do, but I haven't done them yet. Actually, I'm doing them after this month. Okay. i weeks of nights.
1: Is it like two weeks
0: straight or like? you I think get it's some like days four, four days in a row and then you have a day off um, or three days in a row and you have a day off like that. Okay. Like
1: that um, do you feel like it's slower at night or like, what are your tips and
0: tricks to like adjusting your sleep schedule to going from like being awake during the day to being awake all night? I haven't done it this year yet. So I don't really have any good tips for that because I only had to do it a couple of times as a med student. And I kind of just suffered through it. But what I've heard people say is like, try to stay up as long as you can.
1: hmm the, the day, day before
0: yeah the day before okay. that way you fall asleep and and kind of then by the next day you'll just be so tired you fall asleep when you get home and just okay. get, it's hard i think as a resident too when you have to switch back um like when we're in the icu we do nights for a week and then days for a week so you have to switch pretty frequently so that's mm-hmm. that's a little bit challenging but oh, i'll okay. let you know after i do it
1: <laughs> yeah keep me updated she, she shares really good, like actual, like her account is much more medical than mine is and her stories are always really helpful. Like I, I think I have a free, few screenshots of things you posted about like how you studied for boards and things like that. So how did you decide to get into like making content and like posting about med school and stuff like that?
0: So I actually always wanted to do it for a long time and was always nervous about doing it, but I, I wanted to do it as a pre-med didn't do it. And then in medical school, I actually made some YouTube videos, but I wound up putting them on private. No. nervous. Yeah, this is just an ongoing issue for me. But I um, well, the reason I did want to start, and then the reason why I eventually did start my TikTok, which is something that I have stuck with, is because I felt like as when I was a pre-med, I didn't really have anyone to look up to. I didn't know what medical school would actually be like. Anybody that I would talk to would always be like all the other pre-meds at my school be like, yeah, medical school is going to be so hard. You know, we're never going to sleep. We're not going to have a life. And it just always seemed like something I wasn't going to look forward to, but something I had to do to get what I wanted out of life. Mm -hmm. Then I got to medical school and it wasn't like that for me. Like I was able to have normal sleep schedule. I was able to socialize outside of medical school. And I just felt like I wanted to share that with people so that people that they didn't have to feel discouraged about wanting to become a doctor and nervous about it the way I did. However, then, you know, that's the time when like YouTube creators started, um, like popping off on, on YouTube, um, Mm -hmm. with like medical school content and stuff. So it was starting to like come about. Um, so I was trying to do that, but then I would just always like take it down. And then once I finally started, um, on TikTok, people were doing it on there. And I was like, you know, what, these are um, much more like much simpler to make. I really don't have an excuse. They're just like short videos. So mm-hmm. I was like, let me just try it. And I kind of stuck with it. And um, I liked connecting with people and, you know, sharing my, the things that I've learned along the way and sharing my journey.
1: Aww. Well, you're succeeding at it. Cause that's why I followed you and that's how we ended up connecting. So yeah.
0: Thank um,
1: you. I, I think it has like, people can really demonize social media, but I think it has a lot more positives than people realize Mm -hmm. if they take the time to like take a step back and be really cognizant of the content they're consuming and the people they're following. So I really try to fill my feed with content like yours. And I'm so glad that you stuck with the TikTok and maybe someday we'll get you back on YouTube if it's something you want. I also have a little YouTube channel and it's so funny because like every month I get an email from YouTube being like, this is your monthly statistics. Like, and last month I had like, Six new subscribers and like 150 minutes watched and I was like, who the heck is watching? I haven't posted. <laughs> How are you finding me? <laughs> yeah, I haven't posted a YouTube video since like yeah. February. Yeah. But I I think like longer form content is a really good way to really give people an idea of like a whole day in the life and things like that and like what yeah. a weekly basis looks like. The reason I haven't been consistent on YouTube is because it's so time consuming for me to edit an episode or not an episode yeah. for me to edit a video to be like to my liking. So, cause I like the music effects and like the text overlays and like, I like the creative aspect of it. I think it's fun, but it's, it'll take me like an entire day to edit an
0: episode, which we don't have that kind of luxury right now, but. Um, mostly. I think do it though. Cause like what I was kind of trying to do when I was doing, I was doing it during third year, like end of second year, like when COVID kind of started, that's when I was doing it into third year. And I was trying to show like a video for each rotation. And you kind of see like the, in the videos, you see me go through the process of like loving. I am in the beginning, then kind of liking psych and then like basically liking all the rotations and, Aww. and then what I didn't like about them. So it's helpful. I think if you do it now, you can show people, what you like about each rotation, what you don't like, and like kind of how someone goes through that thought process of making the decision what they're going to do for the rest of their life. I think that would be cool yeah. for you Because
1: I, I have the luxury of being someone that's pretty extroverted and like, I'm okay with reaching out and asking questions to people I don't know. Like yes. Like I said, before we started recording, her and I were talking about like ups and downs and I was like, how did you decide this? And what do you feel about that? But I know there are tons of people who are really shy And so like, they're not going to reach out to strangers and they just might not have the opportunity to ask those questions. I think a big part of me wanting to get back into it is also the things that are expected of you in hospitals that no one verbally says, like, I didn't know I was expected to show up 30 minutes before the surgery for my OBOR week and like talk to the patient and introduce myself because nobody said to do that. Yes. Like they just said to be at the surgery and like, I'm happy to do that. I'm so happy to introduce myself to the patient and let them know that I'm going to be observing. But like, if no one tells you that that's something that you can do, you don't even realize that that's like something that could be good.
0: A hundred percent. There's a lot of unspoken like traditions in medical rotating um, in medical rotations, like you need to come early in pre round what you should do on your pre rounds. I mean, these are all things that you, I just had to learn from talking to people who went through it before me, or just like observing while you're there. Cause you're right. You don't know. And you sharing that you need to go 30 minutes earlier in a YouTube video can save someone being yelled at. Yeah. Like, it could save, make their whole day. Like, cause you know, you know how it is on some rotations. Like if you, people don't care that you, you know, didn't, know that they'll say you should have known that. So it's good. It's good to share these little tips. And I think that it can make a big difference. Someone's, you know, day to day. I agree. Thank you for the,
1: um, the reminder that my content is not a silly little waste of time.
0: No, it's not, It's not,
1: it makes, it brings me a lot of joy to make it. And like, I think it's really neat how much a seven second video can impact someone too. like the things that you post where you're like, this is how I felt but I made it through and it was okay and like like they made me feel so seen and heard and I think that's always my goal when people see or hear anything that I post so I appreciate seeing
0: that um it's just like yeah we're all you know we're all going through it and it feels very isolating at times and people Mm -hmm. feel alone and you're not alone And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to start. It's hard to see that when, especially when you're on rotations with like people you don't really know and you're moving Mm -hmm. to a different hospital every month and you're expected to do all these different things and it's hard.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I also think that people in medicine have a way of making themselves seem like they know what they're doing and they have their stuff together at all times and it's nice to have that reminder that like not everyone does and a good example of this is that literally last week this girl that is in my class but that like I've said hi to her in the hallways but I've never like had a full conversation with her she like messaged me and she was like the stuff you post like is really heartwarming and like I didn't know who else to reach out to but like I'm really nervous about this one thing about med school like do you think we could talk and I was so honored I was like that is so neat that you perceive me in that way and that like I could be that person for you. And so I really, I hope that the things I post translate to the way I am in real life. And I know for Dr. Amanda, definitely does. Like all the stuff she posts, like she's- You call me Amanda. <laughs> I know for the podcast episode's sake. You're Dr. Amanda, you earned it. We hang out, I will call you
0: Amanda. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, it's, it's- Yeah, what you post can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that, Coming across as approachable and warm, these are like all great qualities to have, like not just as a doctor, but just as a like a teacher, because as a resident, as an attending, like you're gonna be teaching students, you're gonna be teaching your patients, so like coming across as someone people feel like they can come to you if they have a question is just like always a good quality to have. I
1: totally agree. And I get that vibe from you and your future med students are going to be so lucky to have you. Um, So a few like quick last questions to like wrap up the episode. So what do you think is something that really impacted your life positively, like either like a book or like a lecture or like, um, like a TED talk lecture or just something that you feel like you really shifted gears because of it. I love asking people this and like seeing what they recommend or what impacted them deeply.
0: So there's a book that I read actually during third year. It's called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if I remember that name, right? I think I bought that book and I
1: haven't read it yet because everyone recommends it.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And it changed my life. It just, I mean, everybody says be present. Mm -hmm. And I thought I understood what that meant before reading this, but I really did not understand what being present meant. Like this was what made it click for me. Mm -hmm. And just, I don't know, it really like just helped me get through day-to-day struggles of like taking boards, like being in the hospital, like everything we've talked about so far, like it really helped me just, you know, be in the moment and, you know, take everything in and just understand that, you know, like everything is going to, you know, work out. I don't know. It really helps me a lot. I love that book.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to crack it open this weekend because of you. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, and thank you, ecker Tolley. I hope I said his name, right? <laughs> I, I think you did. I also, this is a really big point. I always like to make in medicine is that I feel like people will often miss out on a lot of the experience because they continually tell themselves like as a pre-med you always tell yourself i'll be happy when i get into med school when you're in med school you're like i'll be happy when i'm a resident when you're a resident you're like i'm i'll be happy when i know everything and i'm an attending and medicine is like this never-ending learning game where there's always more to find out or we're always finding stuff out so i hope this serves as a reminder that like wherever you are in your path whether or not it's healthcare, that it's like deserving of you being happy in this moment and you don't have to wait to be happy. Like you can start choosing to be happy right now as things are. And even if things don't look too good, I always try to look for silver linings. Like when I'm waking up at five 30 in the morning, I'm like, maybe I'll get to make someone feel better today.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that, that was so, that was so well said. And like, like you said, like this, Delayed happiness, delayed gratification that we go through, but we don't have to delay it. I totally did that during pre-med and I, I stopped doing it in medical school, like to the best of my ability, there were definitely times where I got off track, but even now as a resident, like me and my new best friend, cause we, you know, we only met in July, but we've spent so much time together. Like we already became such close friends. Her and I always like do stuff during the week when we're on the same rotation and stuff, just because we're like, you know what? We're gonna, residency is gonna be hard, but what we're gonna remember when we finish this is like all these fun times we had together and with like our other friends. So we're like trying to just make it, you know, have a life outside of it. And yeah, um, we're definitely able to do that cause that's what we're gonna remember. We're gonna remember like, Oh, like that we ordered coffee or that we went out and did this like during, you know, after work, it's all those little things that like keep you going and those like little micro moments that are going to make you be able to survive these really hard times.
1: I totally agree. And I love that you share that sentiment, especially because in medicine, we can't live for the weekend because we don't always get a weekend. So (laughs) we gotta live right now.
0: Yeah. And you might be tired, like have to catch up on all your like, you know, laundry and all that type of stuff on your one day off. So it's like, you got to try to do it during the week too.
1: Yeah. Um, and lastly, but not leastly, where can everyone find you? Cause after this conversation, I know they're going to want to follow you and keep up with you.
0: Oh, <laughs> um, you can find me at great grow glow on TikTok and Instagram.
1: Yay. And obviously it's always linked in the caption. So like the way I link it is that her name will be a hyperlink. So you can just click Dr. Amanda and it'll take you to all of her stuff. Thank you again for spending this time with me. I know we we
0: just kept scheduling and rescheduling but we made it
1: happen and I'm so glad that we did.
0: Me too. Thank you so much for having me. It was great getting to know you better. And um, yeah, you're you're great. And like hearing everything that you had to say about like your social media and all of that it was it was awesome so i'm glad that we were able to connect
1: i appreciate you again thank you so much for spending this time with us all of dr amanda's information will be linked in the caption and i hope you have an absolutely fantastic day you can follow along with us on instagram at all things con amor or with me your host at stephanie okay bye